episode of Entertainment Geekly, your guide to all things sci-fi, fantasy, awesome, weird, what have you. I'm Darren Franich, and with me, as always, my colleague, my friend, my oldest nemesis, Entertainment Weekly's Jeff Jensen. Your oldest nemesis? Are you referring to my age, or, like, have you not had a nemesis longer than, like, uh, a week or two? I, I tend to have a lot of friends, Jeff, and, you know, given given how, how frosty some of our talks are, you know, some of the some of the real, like, dark places that we go to in this podcast, oh. I, I, I consider you my, my best nemesis. What do you think I did to push you over the edge? Uh, well, you know, it, it it didn't help matters when uh, you know you you killed my parents in in that back alley all those years ago, um, or or when you blew up uh, my my planet and left me as the last survivor of Krypton. Um, that was that was rather cruel of me, but wasn't it really really my my eye rolling like a derision for GI Joe retaliation? Oh, Jeff, even even you saying that in a slightly sarcastic tone of voice is enough to make my heart break all over again. Uh, um, yeah, uh, listeners, please do look forward to our three hour in depth deep dive into GI Joe retaliation in a few weeks, um, which probably won't happen actually. <laughs> Jeff, uh, I, I want to dive in right now. Uh, we didn't talk enough about Fringe last week. I, I don't <laughs> really think. Didn't. Yeah, the no. fans spoke and they said they want more Fringe. Fortunately, uh, the show is over. It had its uh, so, some would say epic in some respects series finale last week. Um, you know, uh, you have already written about it in depth, uh, but I guess I, I want to just ask you, you know, what's, what's your kind of like, you know, uh, in a nutshell reaction to it all in the end? And by in a nutshell, I of course mean, please talk for 20 minutes. <laughs> um, you know, uh, like, as you said, I, I definitely kind of went long on, on fringe and it was a difficult thing to process so much so that, um, while, while I didn't get any, uh, criticism from my editors, I, I actually, if, if you noticed, just did not post a recap the next day. Um, I, uh, I actually sat on it for, for two days, um, allowed the very eloquent Ken Tucker to, to speak for uh, the finale and the whole series um, the next day on Saturday and kind of took my time working through my feelings, which were complicated. You know, I, I watched the finale on Friday afternoon um, uh, on, on, a, on a screener that I managed to get. So uh, I uh, and 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 and. Uh, and so I had some more time with it than most viewers um, to to sort of like make sense of it. But it was still kind of uh, uh, tough for me. Like as I kind of said in my review, you know, um, I didn't hate it, but I wasn't loving it for a while, and it wasn't the clean win that I wanted for the series. I, I thought of a lot of it was a little clunky um, in terms of the the, the, the setup. Um, I felt like it was a very fine. Um, conclusion to the to to the se- the season that we had, and it certainly kind of followed through on exactly what it said it was going to do. You know, the plan was to reset time, and they accomplished it. And I, I had mixed feelings about that going in. I think that by the end of the episode, it, it, it won me over. The bottom line, as I sit with it now, several days later, is. I think it, um, it, 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 it kind of lives somewhat well in my head, and it, and it won by doing what Fringe has always done well, and one of the reasons why it's always been so celebrated as a, uh, as a, as a successful sci-fi show is that it has been unusually emotionally resonant. Um, 
Uh, I wished for bigger ideas and bigger twists from the finale. But, um, you know, once we got into the second hour and got that great moment between Walter and Peter in the lab, um, great moment between Walter and Astrid, um, uh, Walter and... uh, and 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 September. I mean, Walter. The Walter of it all was pretty strong. Um, and then going into the end, um, um, it that works. That really worked for me. Um, and it had this sort of rising tide of emotion that kind of carried me out. Um, and I really liked that cryptic last beat with Peter opening up the envelope and seeing the white tulip. So while I had mixed feelings about a lot of the, the, the story that got us to basically the final 30 minutes of the show, um, of, of the, of, of the two hour finale experience, um, those last 30 minutes were really strong and powerful and, and today at least kind of leaves me feeling uh, more positive than negative about the finale. Well, and uh, you brought up something in your recap that I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, You know, I sort of definitely also feel like, to the extent that Fringe was at least in part, if not entirely, the story of Walter. I, I think it's undeniable that you know that finale really brought that to what felt like a, a conclusion that was surprising and yet also you know maybe inevitable in some ways. But in your recap, you also mentioned the interesting thing about where the show has gone is that there was a time when it felt like it was Olivia's show, almost maybe too much at the beginning when she sort of seemed like she was a you know right out of the J.J. Abrams factory you know badass hero. But but there was there was a time when she was much more active, and it, it did feel like until that sort of you know quick jaunt over to the alternate universe, they hadn't done all that much with her. Really, in it, maybe in two seasons, certainly not this season. Did, did you feel like did that have some payoff for you in the end, or, or do you kind of feel like Olivia as a character was sort of left hanging more so than you would have liked? Yeah, like uh, um. As I kind of talked about in the in in, in my recap, um, I don't really feel like we this was a really strong season for Olivia. Um, I you know I always kind of felt that like her relationship to the sort of like inciting incident of this season, sort of the invasion of the observers, and sort of like their separation from Etta, their daughter, um, and ultimately then very quickly Etta's death. Um, as an adult here in the fringe future, uh, you know, Olivia's relationship to all of that was always kind of murky and, uh, and, and kind of very crisply and uh, dealt with very, in, in a very clipped way. And that definitely in some ways spoke to her, her personality, but it was, you know, largely driven by, you know, Peter's relationship. He got the big turns and the big emotional uh, beats to play, um, you know, mostly because he had a very negative reaction to it all and was driven by, you know, revenge. Revenge, and, yes. And, and had, had the most shocking kind of like uh, and most surprising plot turn twist of, of the season, which is, you know, tr- you know, you know, uh, you know, augmenting himself with observer tech and almost becoming an observer himself. And so Olivia kind of was stuck playing these sort of like um, – you know, uh, stuck is a wrong word, but, you know, her character seemed largely defined by, well, uh, you know, her relationship to her man. You know, I, I got to save him. 
you know, and then and she kind of just then just also executed a lot of the, you know, sort of like, you know, procedural functions of the show. I didn't really kind of feel like it was a, a huge, you know, like just showcase year for her so that when we did get this one episode, she did have a couple episodes that that, that 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 gave her a little bit of the showcase. There was that one episode in the title that I forget where she had to go pick up the magnet, and it was largely this peek into her own personality and her own worldview in light of all of these events, i.e. whether or not she kind of like could buy into a sort of more spiritual framework or if she'd sort of a, a given up hope on that, um, and if she, she was a, kind of revealed herself to be more of a rationalist and kind of not sort of believing in sort of any underlying meaning to it all. Um, and and so that, that, that was interesting. I wasn't wild about that episode, but that, but that serviced her character. And then we got Liberty, the first hour of the, of the two-hour finale, and, and, and that really kind of like showcased her on this sort of solo mission to go rescue the Observer child. And it was executed in such a way that reminded us a lot of, of, of what was sort of unique and uniquely damaged about this, this, this woman. Um, and, uh, and, and, and that was fine. Um, but, you know, from a big picture standpoint, yeah, I mean, you know, you know, when we talk about Olivia and I know there's a lot of people out there that like for whom like Olivia was like the defining character of the show. And, and I got to tell you that I, I've never really felt that way. Um, I always felt like the defining relationship of the show was Walter and Peter, um, uh, and uh, and that it was ultimately the story of Walter, who, who who did a very bad thing that brought chaos into the world, and whether or not he could ever fix it or at least atone for it. And um, this is not to say that it's it wasn't Olivia's show as well, um, or that the the, and the show clearly had a responsibility to like making her a vibrant character. I think that what happened over the first three seasons of the show is that you know. An interesting thing happened in the first season where there was actually a lot of criticism of the Olivia character. She definitely seemed to be sort of this sort of cliche kind of character, and not everyone sort of liked her at first. Um, and so, like, the, the show really invested in her, like, in the, in, in, in the first season to make her work. And I think that work, that investment in her kind of made her pop in a way. You know, I think the show felt like we have to make this character work. She kind of does something for this show. She definitely, hopefully, will bring us, a, uh, you know, a certain kinds of demographics and certain kinds of audience to the show. Um, so, sort of the investment is sort of making this sort of like character work broader to the fore in a way that I don't know was always intended. Um, but they definitely kind of dealt her in to the uh, the idea of like I think that one of the things that Friends showed us that really kind of like um, you know at, at first with her character sorry for fumbling around or whatever but her character was very much sort of like of, of the procedural mold and she was just all business and she had no personal connection to the mythology. One of the ways that they made her work um, and 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 one of the ideas that they sort of invest in her is that, no, this revelation that she was very much personally involved in the, in the mythology so that it gave the, the, the show permission to get this sort of ultimately this cop, cop archetype, sort of getting to know who she was as a person and in the same way that we were getting to know Peter and Walter as a person. Mm -hmm. And that, that opened up a wonderful story for her um, that kind of reached, I think, a lot of fruition in the first half of the third season 
But once, you know, we kind of got out of the parallel world storyline that sort of defined the first half of the, of, of the third season, where we we're cutting back and forth to the separate dramas involving Olivia being trapped over there and Bolivia or Folivia working undercover here, you know, once that was sort of resolved and then the story line, her story basically became picking up the pieces of, of all of that, um, the story began at the beginning of the middle of the third season, really shifting back toward Peter and Walter, Peter rebooting the whole world, um, uh, uh, and then uh, and, and then you know season four sort of setting in motion the chain of events that brings us to the end of the show. Yeah, but brings us all the way to the end. And I guess that uh, you know I, I I almost don't want to dig into this too deeply because this is opening up a huge can of worms. But to me, the interesting thing about this ending is sort of how it compares to other sort of great long form sci fi fantasy endings that we've seen recently. And the funny thing is that I, I think that I sort of agree with you. The first hour I didn't like very much, almost because you know in, in its own way by trying to kind of like suddenly bring Olivia back to the fore and also by bringing in the alternate universe and you know we sort of get quick moments with our, our, our old favorite characters faux Livia and Lincoln who are just sort of presented in that that, that, that very quick like you know a, a little bit of fleck in their gray equals 20 plus years but then from there it almost seemed like it went from being what almost felt to me like a typical series finale as cast reunion and greatest hits show. Then I like how it sort of took this turn into being a little bit more ambiguous, frankly. I mean, I, I think you're right to call that last little sequence with Peter. That feels very ambiguous to me in a way that the endings of Battlestar Galactica and Lost really didn't. Those both really felt like, you know, the creators were really trying to, okay, this is our final statement. That's especially true of Battlestar Galactica, I think, which really kind of ended with, without spoiling anything, a, a, a montage of things that really put too fine a point on everything. This didn't have that quality at all. And I, I sort of wonder, do you think, is, is that kind of why, like, will will it maybe tantalize us and seem even better as time goes on because it sort of left things a little bit more open than we were expecting? Yeah, I, I do. And what I kind of liked about the ending of... Um of, 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 of fringe is a quality that we talked about last week, you know, which is it left me. And I know this is one of the goals, uh, uh in, in my interviews with, uh, with, with, with J.H. Wyman, the showrunner, one of his goals for the series finale was he wanted fans to be able to sort of like reflect on the end of fringe and be able to imagine where everyone was now and what they were doing. Um, whether we end up revisiting that in a movie or not. So I like the idea that Walter is somewhere in the future, um, uh, happily retired or helping those, you know, those Oslo eggheads work on um, the secret formula for the next step of, of, of mankind's evolution and creating sort of like emotionally, you know, you know, well-integrated emotional, you know, supermen. Um, and then meanwhile, in the president and the present, like, you know, um, uh, Peter and Olivia are raising their child and perhaps remembering everything from another timeline that didn't happen technically now, mm-hmm. um, and continuing to work with broils to fight, you know, weird fringe science cases, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. Uh, 
Um, Jeff, and, uh, Jeff, can I just say, uh, in the future, the most popular comic book will be well-integrated emotional Superman. That's that's going to be you know just flying off of the digital shelves someday. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, like you know, it, it was. Uh, you know, I think that 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 moment was really well considered at the end, opening up that envelope, and then like you know seeing the white tulip, um, and then then just that real quick cut to like Peter's face, and there's something kind of sharp that goes in his eyes uh, uh, as he as he focuses on something, and it leaves us wondering like you know well like what happened in that moment? I mean, did he remember? Like, uh, um, did all of a sudden like you know, um, you know, multiple timelines that he's experienced suddenly snapped into being like, uh, um, like pop into his head. And, um, I, I, I don't know. I, if there's a movie to happen of, uh, to be happen, you know, of, of course, like, you know, it's going to be something like, um, you know, some new amazing weird science threat threatens the present. And in order to save the day, they got to find some way to bring Walter back from the alternate timeline to help them. Right. So, um, uh, Walter coming back from the future, like doc Brown at the end of back to the future, <laughs> Olivia, like Peter, there is something wrong with your great, 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 great grandchildren. <laughs> uh, we have to go back to the future, he says, as he throws garbage into his garbage disposal uh, engine in the back of the DeLorean. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, so, so but, but so, uh, you'd be on board with that, though. You you like the idea of a fringe movie, if, if I recall our talk last week. There's this sort of idea of, you know, this could be continued in some sort of Serenity-esque fashion. There is still another you know, two-hour iteration of this storyline that you'd like to see. Well, no, I'm not saying that necessarily. I, I, I'm just saying, I mean, if we never see another story out of Fringe, I, I, I get that as well. Um, um, if um, I don't, but if, if, if they make one, um, I, my attitude is, is that if someone came to my door today and went with a petition that said, make the Fringe movie, I would look at it and go, sure, why not? You know, <laughs> You know, it's, uh, but like, am I going to start one? Like, I, I don't know. No, mm. I won't. You know, um, and that, that's not because of how the show finished or whatever. I, um, you know, um, I, if they made a movie, I would go see it because I like these people and I like these actors and I wouldn't mind spending another hour and a half with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I all, but I also think that after five years of fringe stories, I felt like I got the fringe um, itch scratched, mm-hmm. um, and and, uh, and 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 I'm good. Uh, I, I am good. I feel the same way about a lot of my favorite shows. I don't want to make it sound like I'm down on fringe. Like I don't need to see another lost story. You know, for example. You know, like um, I'm I, I I you know bring me that petition uh, uh, for more lost and I would have the same exact attitude. Sure. Why not? You know, like I, I would, I would, but I don't feel like I need another story from either of those worlds. Listeners, you, you heard it here first. Jeff Jensen doesn't like lost and fringe and never right. did. Apparently. I, I hate them. I hate never them. liked either of them. I was just pretending. Um, well, uh, I, I, I want to kind of like, like, be honest, like, did you like the way Fringe ended? I 
liked uh, one part of the ending so much that it really worked for me, and that was um, this idea of Walter sort of recreating the entire origin story of Fringe, taking a small boy through a portal to some you know mystical place, uh, but but in this case, doing it as a sacrifice rather than as a sort of selfish act. I I, I liked how it ultimately built to that. I, I think that you know so often with, with an ending like this, there's this tendency to either you know, maybe dig too deeply into trying to reflect earlier continuity or just ignoring it completely. And this threaded the needle. My ultimate complaint with it was I I sort of walked away feeling like this whole season could have been a two-hour wrap-up TV movie. Like, they they could have sort of boiled down all the stuff that I liked about this sort of post-apocalyptic reboot adventure into a a much kind of smaller and less hyper-extended storyline. So I I, I, I had mixed feelings. It's one of the... It's it's also... But I I, got to say, Jeff, and we touched on this a little bit last week, you know, Fringe is just so clearly a cheap show, and that that really came through in this final episode when... Actually, it's funny, much like Lost and Battlestar Galactica... For the final episode of the show, they really tried to go out with a literal bang. I mean, you know, with Lost, you had the kind of, you know, island earthquake, world's about to explode, maybe, sequence. With Battlestar Galactica, you had by far their largest space battle sequence. And in this, you had, again, bargain show shot on the streets of Vancouver. You had a real kind of like, you know, rebel war breaking out, you know, one single shot of, of an observer shot with the anti-gravity bullet floating. And it, it in all three cases, I don't think that, that that played to any of those shows' strengths. I mean, I, you yeah. know, I don't think that we ever went to Lost, BSG, or Fringe for sci-fi spectacle. If anything, I, I think we went to them for quite the opposite. And I, I think that – I guess what I'm trying to say is I think Fringe made a ton of mistakes this season. But I ultimately find that its, it's closing moments were so moving – and in their own way, not not as proscribed as some of the closing moments of those other shows that that I mentioned. Like I don't yeah. know, there was, there was just something in that moment when Peter sort of whispered "I love you" to Walter, yeah. and you know Walter couldn't quite hear him. That it felt like, you know, despite it all, despite all the problems this show faced, and it it faced so many problems. I I, I think you you could call it the Rudy of television, quite realistically. You know, like it it, it got out there for its one play on. on the Notre Dame football field, and it really kind of delivered. And so I, I, I find that, uh, you know, I, I think ultimately, I enjoyed it. Ultimately, you know, I, I, I guess I, I kind of agree with you. Fringe really ended last year. This sort of last season was a bit of stolen time. It had a few good parts, so why even really complain about the bad parts? You know, that's I, yeah. I, I guess that's kind of my ultimate read on it. And, he, and here's the thing, too, which is, you know, when you when you kind of zero in on that moment when Peter says, I love you, Dad, you know, um, you know, as crazy as Fringe has been, as many sort of, you know, admirable storytelling chances it has taken somehow, some way through it all and, and, and through a lot of, you know, like maybe what we're saying here is unenjoyable or story or unsuccessful storytelling, um, like they, they've always sort of done one thing right which is that they've they've managed their characters well. Like I somehow, as crazy as this show is, has been, 
I, 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 I somehow maintain a, a continuity has been maintained, an emotional continuity has been maintained between the Walter from the very first episode of Fringe to the Walter that, that we, we found on the end of Fringe, at the end of Fringe, and, and everyone else. I know some critics don't necessarily disagree with that. In fact, there, there's a couple critics I know who sharply disagree with that. You know, they say that, you know, with the, the reboot of, of, of season four, it essentially shattered like continuity with those characters um, um, that they knew from the first three seasons. And so they, they couldn't emotionally connect with these versions of the characters over the past two, two seasons. And, um, and I, I've never necessarily agreed with that perspective, even though I think that there is some, 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 you know, some, some good points to be made there. I, think that a large part of the season four was about um, trying to make an argument, whether you believed it or not, that they were the same people, that those same people existed, you know, spiritually and uh, w- within them. And so there was this continuity. And, and whether, I understand that's problematic, but I, I kind of rolled with it. And so that I did feel this, this powerful sense of, of, of of, of uh, I did feel that community uh, continuity. I don't think it could have moved me um, in those final 30 minutes if I did not feel that sense of continuity with the character. So I think that it always did, it, it did that really well. There's one thing I think about, just another point that you made that I really agree with is that I think these two hours were a fine capper to this season. The question of whether or not Fringe gave us a successful series finale is really a question about all of season five. Did they give us the best story, the, um, a, a, a story as a whole that, that made for a really good series capper? I feel like in that regard it's similar to the Lost finale, you know, which is I don't think that when we talk about whether – when I look at the – when I assess the issue of whether or not Lost satisfied me with its series finale, that's not a question that rests solely on the shoulders of those final two hours and some odd minutes. Those final two hours and some odd minutes were an amazing finale to that season. But the question is whether or not season six of Lost was the best possible story or the story that maybe we all wanted to sort of like end like the whole six-season project of Lost. We're not here to talk about Lost. Like, with Fringe, like, that's how I feel about that, is that, you know, like, do I wish they could have told me a story that was set in 2012 or 2013 instead of this sort of, like, particular far future? Yeah, I think I do, to be honest with you. I mean, I I really wish that they could have found a way to make, um, give us a story that was set in the present instead of ending the show with this sort of, like, you know, uh, you know, observer ruled world story, but, but it, it was what it was. It was stolen time. I really appreciated it for what it was, and and it, it managed to have some great emotional resonance at the end. Yeah, which is which is really all, all you can ask for. And I, I think to your point, uh, it's important remembering that this is a show that ultimately was about just a few characters. I think almost every other genre show you can point to of the last ten years has been, you know, tends to be a big ensemble. I mean, you know, you look at. We've already mentioned Lost and BSG, but Game of Thrones takes that to the extreme, where at any given time there's you know about 20 main characters in, in circulation. Fringe wasn't like that. It only had 
you know, really, I, I think the four main characters who were all regulars the whole time, a, a few recurring people, Michael Michael Cerverus popping up constantly throughout the, the the five years of Fringe, usually looking like a complete, uh, you know, albino goon, but giving a great performance each time. <laughs> I um, I, I I think that uh, you know, it, it's ultimately the the joys of Fringe were seeing how you completely understood when Walter was, you know, regressing to his old self, you know, when he was, you know, being more innocent, when he'd kind of lost a bit of his brain. I, I think that, like, just the actors really, really sold it. And I think that, uh, you know, it's 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 funny, Jeff. I, I feel like in our, in our talks about Fringe, we always kind of seem to go back and forth. And I think ultimately Fringe is a very frustrating troubled show that had an assortment of flaws over its its five seasons but i i I kind of find myself feeling like it was it was just one of the more unique experiences i've ever had with with a tv show and i i sort of i I don't know how you could ever possibly reverse engineer what fringe was and what it became and what it ultimately ended up being yeah i mean it 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 was ultimately as charmingly weird and strange and, and uh, as one of its, you know, freak of the week mutants, you know what I mean? Yes. Like, uh, um, but I think that the reason why it, it made such a huge mark on, on us more than anything is uh, the characters in that cast. Absolutely. I mean, like um, I, I've always liked Joshua Jackson. Um, the fact that John Noble never got an Emmy nomination for travesty for, for Walter is, is, is just ridiculous. And I think that what Anna Torv did, especially in season three, um, with with the with the two Olivias, and then let's not forget her amazing Leonard Nimoy impression as, <laughs> as, as you know, occupied her head. That was a, a, that was a great year for a TV actress that just did not get properly recognized, and it's a shame. Yeah. Well, uh, so we also hate the Emmys now. This is this is a podcast full of hatred. We don't like Lost. We don't like Fringe. We definitely don't like the Emmys. Um, I, uh, I, I want to kind of move us along now, Jeff, lest we spend the rest of this podcast just talking about how much we love Fringe in a, in a curious fashion. Uh, another show ended this week. Uh, I, don't, I don't really know if, it, if it's right to call it a show or a series or a miniseries or what have you, but the 13 episodes that were American Horror Story Asylum uh, finished just just hours ago, just just last night as, as we're recording this. Um, remarkably, you did manage to write your recap without the 24-hour period in between to sort of rest <laughs> and meditate and take LSD or whatever you do when you take your recap. Well, I had, your- I, had, I had an advantage, Darren, which is that... Um, there was a press event here in Los Angeles one week ago today in which um, we got to see um, uh, Madness Ends on a big screen on the Fox lot. Oh, and, wow. Uh, and, um, you know, that, that, that made a huge impact on me. And, and in fact, as I rewatched it um, on, on Tuesday, because FX, um, wonderful, wonderful people at FX that uh, that. that let all the press uh, see uh, their shows well in advance. I really kind of worried, like, okay, am I going to see it on my on my small little computer or on my TV screen and kind of feel like, like, oh, I'm a little underwhelmed and there was something about the big screen experience that kind of really made an impression on me. And, and I'm happy to report that wasn't the case. It kind of moved me all over again 
if not more so. But um, yeah, and, and, yeah and, but, but I've had a I've had a week to think about it. Uh huh. And and yet you only and yet you only wrote a six page recap. I'm a little yeah. bit disappointed in you, Jensen. <laughs> A full week to write that. Um, I, I, I want to uh, let's just like for the for the benefit of our listeners who haven't watched the show, I I would wholeheartedly recommend watching this season. I I, I really enjoyed it, uh, but uh, I, I do want to kind of just quickly give a rundown of what happened in this final episode. It, it was all kind of structured very interestingly uh, around an interview with Lana in the present day. When I, I think you know you kind of pointed out she'd become this Barbara Walters figure. It was sort of a tour through her brilliant career, and through that in flashback form, we saw the sort of, it really kind of doled out its endings for different characters, and we saw Kit had rescued Sister Jude, and they had had what struck me as, as a really uh, quite moving uh, redemption and, and, and reconciliation storyline. Uh, Jude ultimately passed on, Kit was ultimately taken away by the aliens, who for, for whom there was ultimately no explanation. And I, I think that that was quite clearly purposeful. Um, you know, we, we sort of got a little bit of, of an indication of what his half-breed alien kids, miracle children did, which I, I think one's a neuroscientist and one is a law professor. Is, is that right? That, that, that's true. That's, that's right. right. That's right. What, what, what higher callings could there be in uh, modern-day America? Uh, but then uh, what, what I liked about it, Jeff, and what, what I kind of want to, you know, talk a, a little bit about here is, you know, this was – a very dark season of television, undeniably so. Uh, a lot of this episode was, I thought, re- remarkably very, um, you know, light is the wrong word, but, you know, very, very emotional. Uh, I, I think it, it sort of allowed these characters a bit of grace that, uh, you know, uh, had seemed sort of so utterly lacking in a lot of the grotesquerie earlier in the season. And then it all built up to this final showdown between Lana and Dylan McDermott, her, her crazy, you know, half serial killer son. And you thought it was building up to their them kind of reconciling, and then she shot him in the head. And, you know, from there you get a, a quick little flashback with a lot of really interesting, you know, thematic layers to the first episode of the season. And just like that, we were out. What do you kind of make of that last sequence? And, you know, the, the sort of shift from characters sort of being reconciled and redeemed into however you want to take, you know, Lana speaking to her, you know, uh, speaking to her demon seed. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, it definitely seemed to offer a compare and contrast between two different people dealing with um, their past and the legacy of their past in in, in sort of different ways. Uh, um, One definitely unabashedly positive, you know, like uh, the Kit Walker storyline. I mean, his whole approach to – his whole motivation – for wanting to take this this person in Sister Jude, who like did some really abusive, degrading things to him and to his friends, is you know falsely imprisoned and otherwise during their time in in Briarcliff, um, and yet she too became a victim to the to this corrupt place, and so when when he managed to escape and and, and build some kind of life, and this this shocking choice that he makes then to actually go back and befriend her and invest in her and then take her home and try to sort of like rehabilitate her physically and mentally and emotionally 
um, you know, kind of going like, what? And, and like his, and, and, and when, when Lana Winters herself kind of like calls him out on it and says like, why did you do this? This is stupid. And you, you didn't have to do this. And maybe she kind of deserves it. And, and, and his attitude was, well, n- n- none of us really deserves that, you know. Um, but you know what? But I, I didn't really do it for her or for, for, for me even, you know. I kind of did it for my kids, not necessarily to set to an, an example. But this is what I thought was really kind of like, you know, really an interesting thought, which was, you know, his whole rationale was, I need to be a good dad to my kids. My kids need to be present. I need to in- invest in them. But but I can't really get over what happened to me, like in that place. It it it, it wrecked me. It took away a lot from me. Um, it set in motion a chain of events. It took away um, two of the most important people in my life. To, uh, that you know, in Grace and his wife Alma. Like uh, I need to get past that. How can I get past that? You know, and um, you know, if if you're Bruce Wayne. Um, and something like this happens to you, you put on a costume and be angry all your life and go and beat up people, you know, <laughs> right? Kit Walker takes a completely different approach. She says, like, what if I can, what if I can overcome this? What if I, what if I can, what if I commit myself to a, a very novel notion? What if I, what if I forgave her? And what if I tried to love her in the way that I wished that she had loved me? Like, you know, yes, this sounds kind of vaguely biblical, like do unto others what you would have done to you or and all of that. But, hey, you know, like there might be some wisdom there. And so he tried it. And um, I, and, 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 and that was what was modeled for us, this guy that like, like, like did this. And, um, and, and, and the show is really kind of, I think, realistic about that process um, in the sense of like um, – there was nothing that he could do on his own to, 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 to rehabilitate her. So we had that deus ex machina moment of like, basically she was ultimately fixed by, 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 by the aliens, but that didn't like, you know, and so she was allowed to have this vibrant life, um, and, uh, in the remaining time left, but, but he didn't let that, um, let her off the hook for her past sins, you know? Um, but, but, uh, but, you know, like, but, she made the most of that and, and returned the kindness that was given to her invested in the kids. And, 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 and I had this sort of like, you know, I'm kind of losing myself in my own recap here. You definitely, I definitely sussed out all the logic, but it's like, you know, it was a wonderful model of sort of redemption and forgiveness that in turn yielded a change in, 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 in sister Jude. And she responded in kind by giving back and it enriched all of them. And in the end, whether or not that like exonerated her for everything that she did was not the point. You know, the point was is that this activity that he did in his life yielded a change in himself that allowed him to move on from his past, and I think set a good example for his kids and inspired them as well. I found that extre- and and inspired her as well, and I, I found that really moving, Darren. And so like. Uh, as sort of like you know how we deal with each other, but as we as a metaphor for um, for dealing with others and, and sort of redeeming the culture, if you will. Totally. We talk, uh, we, we talk a lot about the theme of redemption and things, um, and I love that as a theme. Um, what I don't do well enough a lot in my own writing work when I talk about redemption is something that we actually don't really see a lot in, in shows. I, I realize while writing about this is that, but yes, but what does redemption look like? Um, 
Well, he offered a really powerful um, uh, 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 roadmap for it, you know, and I was like, well, why not that example? I mean, I don't know if it's going to work in the real world, but, but you know, in and, and terms of changing other people around, but I think what was really remarkable about what they were showing is that, is that maybe the activity just is, is good enough because it changes him and it's, it's a good example for his kids. That was really powerful. Now, this is juxtaposed, Ben, as, as you're pointing out, with this darker, more demented and more cynical storyline in which we have Lana Winters. And, and, and I loved her arc over the period of her time, of, of, this, of the show. She had the most interesting one. You know, she was the crusader. Yes, she was driven by ambition. And she makes no sort of bones about that. But there, she had this do-gooder impulse that was basically completely blown up in her um, as a result of the Briarcliff Horror Show. So that when she got out, yeah, she was going to continue taking down corrupt men and, and writing about maniacs. But... She didn't have any more, you know, pretentious aspirations to redeeming anything, you know, like she just, you know, she, she, she had been through hell and she felt like she deserved a little bit of prosperity and like, um, and, and so she's going to continue to take, take down bad guys, but basically for profit. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but, you know, she had that conversation with, with, with Kit in the last episode and when she kind of, she, he kind of called her out on sort of being kind of cynical and. And, 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 and what's up with this me, me, me attitude of yours? Like, um, why should I care about that? And, uh, and that, that may or may not have gotten under her skin a little bit because while she continued to be driven by ambition, you know, she kind of redirected her energies to, to just causes, I would say. And so she does bring down Briarcliff, and she does go after Monsieur, uh, uh, Cardinal Timothy and expose the sins that he and Arden committed and, um, and, and, and all of this. And, uh, and, and, and she had a really interesting attitude, which I think is complicated, um, but I found really interesting too, which is that she did have a sense of social responsibility. She had a responsibility to this, this, this horrible, the legacy to this horrible thing that happened that she found herself somewhat culpable for, you know, in her mind, maybe a lot of this would never have happened if she wasn't so ambitious. So she has this sort of ongoing commitment to putting out all of the fires, the lingering fires that are caused by this, by this sin of hers in the past. And, and I don't know if, what you think of that, whether she, you know, if that was admirable, you know, this whole line at the end when she blows away, you know, like, you know, her, her boy, uh, Johnny Morgan, um, you know, the, the son with, with, with bloody face who, who became a monster himself, you know, and it's like, and he tells him, she tells him, uh, you know, um, it's not your fault. It's mine. And she kills him. You know, mm -hmm. um, like, you know, on one hand, I kind of felt like, well, this is sort of a different mode of, of, of being responsible for what you've put into the world. Right. Mm -hmm. um, um, but on the other hand, um, I, I kind of wondered if she kind of bought into the victim psychology um, that that her abuser kind of inflicted upon her. This whole idea of like, this is happening to you because you deserved it. You brought it on yourself, you know. And so, did, did she get kind of infected with that sickness? I don't know. It's it, um, it, it, it's it's tough to know. And well, I think also I think what's worth pointing out here is the way that that wrapped up. I think was explicitly 
you know, it was dealing with a lot of very heavy topics in, in a way that the show more often kind of looked at uh, sort of sideways. This was really directly, it was a lot about motherhood. I think it was a lot about, I mean, you know, it, it immediately cut to the sequence of her talking to Jude, where Jude had that great line about being an ambitious woman back then, which frankly what she was saying might as well apply now. It, yeah. it felt like th- there was a lot of sort of digging there, and I almost don't know that there is necessarily a fundamental answer. Um, and, and I think a lot of it comes down to what you're saying, you know, like what you ultimately think about Lana, who was such a complicated character. One of my favorite scenes in that last episode was while she was filming, you know, that TV documentary inside of the, uh, you know, inside of Briarcliff, which, you know, you kind of know ultimately had a good ultimate uh, outcome, which was the closing down of Briarcliff, there was that kind of really darkly cynical scene where she's filming, you know, her talking in there, and, and you know, she has to kind of start all over again, and, you, you know, it, it almost seemed like a little bit like, you know, the the show business satire of someone trying to be, you know, very overly dramatic, and I I, I think it's it's hard to know how to read her character, except to say, you know, in, in, in a... In a curious way, she was someone who ultimately became a mother, and the la- the last act in the show was very much her acting as a mother in a way that is interesting when you consider I, b- both years of American Horror Story, but certainly this one have so much, you know, running throughout of motherhood and you know pregnancies that come out of nowhere and children and things like that. Well, pregnancies by rape, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, uh, yeah, I remember. Um... I remember when I, we, we were dealing with that in the, in, in the recap, and uh, I kind of said, okay, we're doing this for the second, you know, year in a row, um, and, uh, and uh, it, it ultimately worked out well for the show. Um, you know, I, uh, I hope that maybe we can evolve the themes next season a little bit. Um, Ryan, but- Mur- Ryan Murphy has said that next year is all about the women, so I don't know, Jeff. Might have, might have like 50 pregnancies by uh, halfway through next season. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's interesting because that final scene between Lana and, and, and Johnny, you know, it's like um, it was an interesting sort of echo to, um, you know, one of uh, – of, one of many creepy scenes in this whole season, but you know when uh, when uh, Johnny's father um, um, Oliver Threadson was holding Lana cop- captive um, in, in his basement, and uh, and 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 what he wanted this woman to do was sort of like play this role of the mother that he never had in, in, in many various perverse ways, and, um, and 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 she really wasn't going along with it. Um, uh, until he was going to kill her, and then, and then she she found a compelling way to fake it and 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 be mommyish um, to uh, to this guy as she sort of like scrambled to figure out this is this is going to buy me some time, um, and, and so I could figure out how to get out of this jam, and um, and she ended up regretting that she ended up experiencing a lot of like a lot much more horror as a result of that strategy. Um, including the final moment with Johnny, because that's ultimately what she had to do. Um, you know, did she finally become a mother? Well, I mean, she once again faked being a mother, um, yeah. and she faked it really, really well um, to the point of, of of telling that boy exactly what he wanted to hear, which was that you know, 
is that he really wasn't like his father at all and that he w- was really a, a, a good boy, which, of course, was a total lie. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that, that, that neutralized him and that made him feel loved and cared for. And then she grabbed the gun and blew his brains out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean it, it, it's, it's, it's funny, though. I mean, uh, you know, you kind of can't help but laugh at it. it. What I found was that in a strange way, you know, clearly Johnny is a horrible person for all kinds of reasons. Um, just in that last moment, I'm receiving phone calls here. Uh, just in, in that last moment, the whole season, he's he's been sort of stalking around the outskirts, usually in the bookends of episodes, as um, you know this this sort of very freakish personality. And I I think you really have to give Dylan McDermott a, a lot of credit for you know throwing aside what little vanity he might have had left <laughs> after after last season and just really kind of digging into this character. But it, it's almost kind of like in that last moment, you know, he finally gets what it seems like he always really wanted, which was his mother's love, and then is is immediately and I, I, I'm, I'm sort of reminded of, I'm, I'm going to butcher this quote, I believe that Catherine Hepburn said this, but it might have also been Virginia Woolf, so I'm, I'm, I'm already just being awful about this. It was something to the effect of, you know, if, if you're a woman, in order to um, you know, truly live up to your ambitions, you have to decide to not be a mother. Someone said something along those lines at some point. I swear to God, I'm not just making it up. And I, I sort of feel like, you know, Lana is someone who is, is it's established quite clearly in this last episode. You know, she didn't want to nor ever thought she could be a mother. She certainly was a lesbian in a time when the situation was much, much different than, uh, than, than it is today. And there's something sort of admirable and sort of scary and sort of interesting about her ultimate decision to, as you point out, she's once again sort of play acting, being, you know, being this person's mommy just long enough to then ultimately basically finish the job that the coat hanger was supposed to do 50 years earlier. <laughs> and it's it, it's it, it, it's so interesting. And it's one of these things where I, I'm almost worried about uh, I, I'm almost worried about sounding like offensive in a way. But I think it's because, you know, it really picks on a lot of scabs that are still very vibrant and, you know, uh, in today's culture. And I I think that that's really, you know, what 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 I find so admirable about this season ultimately was I think it I think it lived up to the promise of the horror genre in a way that even the first season didn't always, which was you know it it tackled a lot of things that we don't like to talk about and it tackled it very head on. Um, and I what's really provocative about this show is what is the horror that we're really talking about like in this show? I mean. Yes, it traffics in a lot of sort of genre horror, and it pays homage to you know all sorts of different kinds of horror movies. And um, but the story is called American Horror Story, and it's 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 the biggest horror story is American history, apparently. You know, um, and and I think that's really provocative and poli- you know really provocative. I mean, the first season is is a, a lot about Los Angeles and it's about the, this, this, you know, like the house is a metaphor for, for, for a kind of uh, American history. But I mean, they really kind of hit it really on the head with like, with, with, with this season, which was basically takes as its subject, you know, the failed promise of the 60s and what happened after, you know, um, as a sort of like giant allegory where, you know, the asylum as this uh, culture, as this idea, the, the asylum represents this idea that, of, of culture that basically makes us better people, right? Um, but as we find the asylum, 
like circa the 60s, we, 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 we immediately realized that this has all, always been something of a, of a flawed view of culture and, and definitely something of a lie. Um, and as it's sort of like ruled and managed by various conflicting interests that, that like have some good ideas for people and some bad ideas too, i.e., you know, history, um, uh, religion, and, and, and science, right? Mm-hmm. And into, into the asylum comes this whole, you know, like, you know, revolutionary spirit, uh, you know, embodied by people like Lana, uh, Spirit of the Times, Lana and Kit, and these, these, these aliens and, 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 and all of this. And um, it, they seem to promise great change and reformation and rehabilitation and a new way of, of, of doing things. And, you know, like, and, and, and that didn't quite work out the way that we hoped or thought it would. And I like what you kind of said. I mean, like, some things have changed and some things linger, you know, in terms of, like, uh, um, you, know, uh, you know, there are still no equal rights for, for gays and lesbians. And women still don't have, like, you know, are, are not on equal parity with men and, um, and, and, and many other things. And, um, well, and, 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 you and know, in its own really weird, baroque brutal, bizarre way, this show really powerfully expressed all those themes. It did. And, you know, I, and I think also, uh, you know, it's funny, I, I, I joked earlier about, you know, the children who are now a, a neuroscientist and a law professor. The show seems to sort of argue, you know, Kit's maybe the best of all these people because, I mean, God, he, he, has, he has two kids and one of them's a neuroscientist and one of them's a law professor. I mean, that's, that's the most incredible thing to come out of the 1960s as far as this show is concerned. <laughs> and I, I, I think it, it, it makes a very interesting point you know, one of the one of the really compelling things about Ryan Murphy's shows, as sort of crazy bananas as they can be, is there's always a really interesting mixture of what seems like extreme social liberalism with something that it's almost wrong to call it conservative, but maybe maybe more old fashioned. And there's an aspect to this show where, on one hand, you have Kit, who very much it turns out, you know, is and always kind of was a family man. I mean, you know, we first met him; he was happily married. He ultimately, you know did a sort of impressive job of trying to make his blended family work. And admittedly, that didn't entirely work out since both of his wives ended up dead. But, you know, then he he kept on trying at it. And, you know, we saw in the last episode, he, you know, he found somebody else ultimately. And then on the other hand, you have Lana, who is a, a radically different, I think, uh, figure and a radically different figure for boomers, especially. I mean, you know, putting aside the fact that, you know, she's an ambitious homosexual woman at a time when all, all when, you know, those three things were not much accepted in in America. You know, she's also someone who, you know, had this real call to something bigger, and I thought the show managed to mix in her sort of vanity and, and lust for fame with a, a, a very legitimate sense that, that she had a higher calling. And, you know, it's, it's interesting that, you know, it's ultimately kind of like, you know, well, which of these people, which of these models do you want to follow? And in some respects, you know, you see Lana in the last episode, and she has, take it from a New Yorker, she has the greatest apartment in New York history and you're kind of like okay I mean that's that's nice you know she's got a cool like much younger opera singer uh, um, you, you know girlfriend partner um, and then but you know there's there are things that she lost along the way that that Kit you know didn't lose along the way and I I, I find that you know I, I Jeff I, I'm sure you feel this way sometimes too I I, I sort of this season especially, I, 
I could respect the show if it were just a crazy throw it all in the cocktail mixer uh, combination of 20 different horror movies all in one. But I, I, I was surprised by how those two characters really felt like they had the consistency up through the end that that yeah. really made them that, that really made them multidimensional in a way that I'm, I'm not sure you often see on television, period, uh, you know, m- much less on, on this show. And I I I I I I'd be intrigued to see um you know I I I I guess really I'm, I my sort of takeaway is I'm I I love thinking about this show now. I I almost want to rewatch it all again and see how that all kind of links up together knowing where it's all ultimately ending. Yeah, uh yeah, I I you know there's all I think Ryan Murphy shows and even even this one which, you know, I think um, you know, Tim Stack has talked about this. I, I, I like. I, I think that this really does represent his most successful season of television as a story that, I, at least as I've seen, and I haven't seen everything that Ryan Murphy has done. But like what I've seen, like it, it, it seems very um, cohesive. That said, like it does take some wild story turns and like uh, evil Santa, you know, <laughs> and, and 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 like I don't know if everything hooks up, but it sure felt like it did and that's all that really matters um and the characters are so rich i I think that that's a this you know i really did like the first season of american horror story even though some people kind of felt like on a sort of pure horror level season one was delivered more against that and i think that there's a version of the i think that there are people out there that like that version of the show better that just is sort of devoted to dealing Yes, Ryan Murphy, fine. Do your little sociopolitical kind of themes and all that kind of stuff, blah blah blah. <laughs> but, but 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 give me the genre shock and thrills and all this kind of stuff. And I think to some degree, season one did that better than season two, which found a lot of its horror in really human horror. I mean, I don't think that I've seen a more perverse, scary kind of scene, like you know, one of the scariest things I, I've seen ever in, in in pop culture is you know the sort of like, you know, uh, the, the conversion sequence uh, early in the season when when uh, when Dr. Threadson tried to cure Alana of her mm-hmm. homosexuality. Um, uh, that was just really disturbing. Um, but, um, but you know, I, I, I think that one of the things that it did better than the first season is that all the characters were just really ripe and juicy and had so much story to tell that ended up fueling a really whole season of, of, of the show. Season one, it felt like like he had run out of things to say with all the characters by about episode six or seven. And it was just kind of waiting around for the last two or three episodes to kind of like, you know, pay him off and kill him out, you know? Yep. Um, Yep. Whereas, but here he had, he has so many ideas that a lot of people did complain about this season that there were too many ideas. Um, I did not mind that at all. Um, And, um, and uh, and uh, but but he definitely dialed himself dealt himself a lot of really rich characters and they were all really well cast and they were all really fun to watch and um, and 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 he, he could spend 
even you know more than the 13 episodes that he gave us you know exploring all of them and yeah so, a- a- absolutely and I I think that that really speaks to we talked about this a little bit in, in the lead up to this season but I think it speaks to the strength of this kind of fabulous structure that they've come up with it feels like knowing now that they could do everything in 13 episodes you know you sort of get great things like and what, what I like about the show is that it's the kind of show where it can have Ian McShane who as far as I'm concerned, is one of, <laughs> one of the finest TV actors, just yeah. period. You know, it can have him in for a nice little, you know, three, four episode stint, give him just a lot to do with, have a lot of fun with him. You know, it can do that. And at the same time, it's totally okay with casting Adam Levine in what turned out to be a complete piece of stunt casting, where he just spent, <laughs> I, I, I think if I recall, he spent three whole episodes just slowly, I mean, first he lost his arm, and then he got shot, and I, 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 I think there's something very sort of wonderful about that and you know I'd be intrigued to know if you know if right now if there aren't a lot of actors in Hollywood that are kind of like hey listen you know how do I how do I get my one episode on American Horror Story I, I think mean, that <laughs> Adam Adam Levine's severed arm got as much screen time as Adam Levine's face <laughs> um, and, yeah, and it was I, and it was much more charismatic too. <laughs> I, I love what you're really and this is sort of for me a, a a sign of a successful television show is a success season of TV is as you're reminding me of things like Leo and his arm and, um, and, uh, and, 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 and bad Santa, um, there, um, <laughs> like you're reminding me of like, like, Oh yeah, those stories. And they seem really long, a long time ago. Like that was a, that was a, that was a lot of story ago. And just reminds me of like, this story this year really took me on a journey, and mm-hmm. I felt like um, it, it uh, um, and a, a lot happened. And um, and when I get that sense of like when I look back on 13 hours of television, and it felt like you're 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 you're, you're talking about stories, that, and I feel like wow, that didn't that happen like two seasons ago? <laughs> um, like like it, it like that. I think that's a cool quality because it told me that really. It really pushed a lot of story through and took me on a journey. I never felt bored mm-hmm. with the show. I, I maybe I could like look back and 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 and, and pick out a couple episodes that um, feel like stalls. And I overcriticize stall episodes. I understand how sometimes they're necessary, but I, I don't. I ever felt like the show was stalling on me this year. It always gave me something to think about. Always gave me some really, um, you know, creepy, powerful interesting things to feel and uh I, I thought it was just it just really well done i and and with the special commendation to i i, I want to say this final episode because the storytelling in this episode i mean from from the writing to the direction the stories within the stories within the stories and the different film styles that was going through the modern day stuff through um you know the 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 the, 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 the replications of sort of like you know the old tv shows and and the and, and and the video footage and 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 all of that and 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 sometimes in a really show offy way, but it was so spectacular and so fun and so creative. What did you think of that shot? And we got in the final like 15 minutes of the episode where 
we see this brief flash in which we realize that Lana has, has known for at least a week or so that there is this guy named Johnny Morgan out there, and it's her son. The, the, the detectives are in her sitting room. And the camera and the circles camera around. starts from over her shoulder, pans over her shoulder, starts turning upside down, and then slides underneath the glass table so you could see the, fo- the file folder um, um, uh, in, in which you see Johnny Morgan's mug shot. Now, I want to tell you a story about, I mean, that shot was insane. And um, I want to tell you a story, like, uh, no one's really reported this yet, but it was with the Q&A with, 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 with the press last week that Ryan Murphy had with, with people. And, and, uh, and he said that he was watching a rough cut, and it came in a little long, I think. I, I, well, that's neither here nor there, but he was watching the rough cut of the episode, and he sees this shot. And, um, and he's shaking his head about the director who kind of like specializes in this kind of like really kind of showy stuff. And he's like, come on. Like, you know, like he's either thinking like, I'm going to have to cut this or we're going to have to reshoot this until he sees the payoff where he sees that how he started feeling this way as the camera starts turning upside down, right? <laughs> and it's upside down. And then it slides underneath the table to, to get you the shot of what's the most important thing visually about that moment, which is the, you know, Johnny Morgan, the, the, the mug shot of Johnny Morgan. And he's like, oh, this is ridiculous. Oh, that's genius. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I got to say, and uh, I, I feel bad, I, I forget the director's name. I believe his first name is Alfonso. Uh, he also he directed a couple other episodes this season, one of which was the second uh, I Am N Frank episode. I I don't know what I, what exactly he's doing, and like I I'd love to know more about like you know if, if this show just has a longer production time than some TV shows. But each of his episodes have had shots like that that uh, you know I think that comparisons have been drawn to. There was this sort of Brian De Palma esque split screens when Lana yeah. was walking out. I mean I you know I I feel like even now when television has become certainly you know much more narratively uh, ambitious than it ever was uh, before, it's still rare to see a show that really does so many intriguing and I think I think genuinely purposeful uh, interesting visuals like that. I mean, like, you know, I, I don't think it's all knickknacks. I, I think when he throws in, uh, you know, the other kind of like, really kind of like showcase shot in the episode was when you started, the camera was zoomed in all the way on the camera filming the oh, interview yeah. and you saw them upside down. I mean, that's that's right out of the kind of, you know, golden era of Brian De Palma in the 70s and early 80s. I, there, was, I, there, was a whole, there was a whole Kubrickian vibe I kind of also felt to yeah. the, uh, the, Lana, the, the framing a lot of the, of the Lana Winters stuff. I mean, that, 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 that apartment could have been out of eyes wide shut, but then the, the pulling out of the camera Absolutely. Like, evoked Hal in 2001. Absolutely. Well, and then, shining too. I, well, and then I, I think also even, you know, when you realize, because I, I, I sort of, I, I rewatched parts of the episode because it was just so fun. There were scenes where they were shooting the interview and you'd cut from the camera filming Lana diegetically. Like, you know, the camera, we're looking at Lana as if we're watching watching the TV interview and then it would cut to a different camera the American horror story camera filming her from a different it just the way it all mixed together i you know as as, as long as as long as we're throwing out kubrick it, it reminded me of some of the visual narrative tricks that alan moore likes to play i mean it, and and even in its sort of whole structure of the interview as guide to flashback that ultimately winds up with you know with an 
ending right after the it, it felt very much like you know like like an issue of Watchmen where it really was this interesting little episode node that felt you know it, it, it was narratively separate from everything else even though obviously it was meant to wrap everything up I I really enjoyed it and I understand that that director is going to be back and playing a large role in the next season which I'm I'm, I'm very excited about that's right they've signed him to a deal to be a producer director I think he's what what Ryan Murphy explained um, at, at, at the uh, at the press conference last week was that um, that he he's gonna he he surely will probably direct the season premiere and he'll sort of set the visual um, uh, uh, for for the whole season and he'll probably direct every third episode or or or, or so and so that's that's really um, uh, really encouraging uh, and you know. A, a little bit of, 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 of backstory on this guy, which is that, you know, he's been like a, a I think a, um, a second, you know, assistant director to like Martin Scorsese and, 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 and other, other major directors. Um, and he's, he's making a, he's directing, he's in, he, he signed a deal to direct a horror movie that, that Ryan Murphy is producing a remake of a TV a movie or, or, or uh, it's a movie that uh, frankly, I know that a lot of people have seen or heard about, but I, I don't know anything about, it. I think it's called the town that dreaded sundown. Ooh. I, I I never have before, but I like the name. Yeah, yeah, and you know what I'm doing here is I am stalling for time, uh, my friend, because we 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 uh, we really do need to get his his name. Uh, yes, yes. His name is Alfonso Gomez Rejan or Rejan. Rejan. Yes, yes. Yes. Hyphenated last name, right? Yes. Alfonso Gomez Rejan or, or Rejan. Uh, I I think he's so incredible. I I, I really think that, uh, and I I think it speaks to the fact that again, it seems like there's something in the structure of this show that you know they are kind of allowing in a way you don't often see, even good cable t- TV shows like this director to come in to really give it a, a a stamp that if it's if it's not quite personal, it certainly feels you know purposeful, um, if you will. Yes, yeah, that's um. a really good way to put it. Um, yeah, that's all- I mean. And, 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 and really, I mean, like, you know, he, like, I think Ryan was explaining, he's a director that really, he loves very self-conscious homage, homage to other directors, and that really works well for this show. Absolutely. Um, Jeff, I, I, I want to wrap us up here, but uh, now we've, we, I, I, I know that we, we've talked about this before, but, you know, American Horror Story, we've seen The Haunted House, we've seen the sort of asylum, insane horror uh, genre riff th- that they did. We know next year, all we know about it at this point is, you know, Ryan Murphy wants it to be about women. Some of the cast will be returning. Um, if 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 you had your famous druthers, Jeff, uh, what would you want to see this show explore next year? And that could be as as vague as a part of America, or as as precise as you know what you know you want it to be set on a pirate ship in the Caribbean, let's say, <laughs> which which is still technically America, Jeff. <laughs> it's just a different. It, it's just a, a different part of America. You know, I I felt very invested in that question last year um, when when our own Tim Stack started reporting that like the final episodes of last season contained clues about where this season was going to be set. Uh, I actually wrote a whole piece like, "Wow, what could it mean?" I have been oddly just so not invested in that question this year um, because like first of all 
to be honest with you, I don't like the way Ryan Murphy plants clues in his shows. I think <laughs> really, when I, when I found out that it, what, what the clue was in last year's episodes uh, that pointed to an asylum, I thought, really? That, <laughs> that doesn't, like, you, don't, you don't know how to build and, and, and lay Easter eggs, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, like, uh, like. Anyway, uh, there, there's a cooler way to do it. Um, I, and uh, but this season was such a surprise in many ways, and how well it all worked. Um, there is part of me that's almost like actively shutting down on that front, Darren. Mm-hmm. Just because, mm-hmm. like, like, um, because, like, like, uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm open to being surprised, and I'm open to sort of him maybe picking a. a a part of history that like, um, or, or, or cities that, um, maybe I, uh, I'm not interested in, but, 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 but maybe he can make work because he and his crew of people, um, uh, which includes a really talented writing staff, Tim Minear, James Wong, um, like, like just really good guys and, 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 and good people over there. James um, Wong, uh, late of X-Files, I believe. That's right. right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but uh, so I'm open to you know I know that there's a lot of people who are already speculating like and I don't know how they got this idea out of the last couple episodes but on my Twitter feed it seems like the you know everyone's anticipating either voodoo or witches mm-hmm. as being sort of the big subject of next year about the horror trope of next year um, and uh, as well as um, as, as maybe like New Orleans. Yes, uh, um, I've I've heard a lot of this too, and uh, I, I, Tim Stack, I believe, uh, our 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 beloved colleague, uh, had mentioned to me that I I believe that the idea there, not confirmed or denied by anyone, was that uh, when you saw the um, the oh god, what's what's it called, the music machine that. Uh, um, the nun the brought in the jukebox. Yes, when you saw the jukebox, that technology that everyone knows about, besides me, apparently, um, I, I believe that everyone in there or a lot of people in there were from New Orleans. I I, I can't confirm that because because I haven't done the freeze frame, but that w- that was one theory that I had seen. Oh, there you go. Um, there you go. So there you go. I mean, I mean, like New Orleans is like you know if it's set in modern day um, and we're, we're dealing with. Um, uh, a, a city and a community that is recovering from a major horror, horror show catastrophe, you know, of Katrina, and then you have a, you know, you have all the very rich, rich history and the Gothic, you know, Southern Gothic history of New Orleans. Yeah, it's a, it's a really ripe venue for, um, you know, a horror show. I, I guess what is it going to be? Sort of interview with the vampire meets. Angel Heart meets Dream. Like I, I don't know. Like, well, uh, well I, I, Jeff, uh, you know, I, I was going to say you actually stole my joke, on, uh, unfortunately. But uh, this is the rare opportunity for Treme and American Horror Story to stage a crossover, which I know right. I, I, I personally have been waiting for as the lone person at the center of the Venn diagram who watches both of those shows. But I'll tell you, but I'll tell you something. I mean, like, um, like knee-jerk reaction to that idea, like. Not wild about it. Mm-hmm. Not wild about mm-hmm. it. Like I, I, I don't care about voodoo. I, I'm not a big witch guy. You know, like, um, like if, if that's where we're going, this is why I wonder if, like, Salem. I'm not wild about the idea of of of, of Salem. Like, are we going to do like American Horror Story meets The Crucible? Like, but this is also why I also say, but I'm open to him surprising me yep. because he surprised me with this season, showing how how rich it can be. Two cities that I think that would be really interesting for the show to ultimately visit, um, 
are well three cities really um like washington dc alike and and, and deal with politics really politics um, the true american uh, horror right right detroit um, which is a you know like a, a, a city rebuilding, but also has seen a lot of of horror in in its own ways. And I you know like sooner or later, this show's going to have to deal with New York. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I mean, the, what I hope it retains though is sort of like the the only mythological premise that the show really has, which is the idea of or like a, a, a setting, like a physical place that is a setting with a history that is some sort of like seat of horror, um, uh, like whether it's like, you know, Murder House in Los Angeles. And we had that wonderful scene in, 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 in the first season in which we had um, Sarah Paulson's character in that, in that episode, uh, in that season, you know, uh, Billy Dean Howard, the um, I believe, believe Billy Dean Howard is her name, but she's the psychic, and she sort of spelled out this sort of mythological idea that I think that this season, to some ways, but in a less mystical way, supernatural way, was very faithful to, which is this idea that there are these places all around the world that have a, that where, where horror has happened, profound horror, and that horror is compounded with more horror over time, so that they they gain this sort of power, this awful, awful power, and like. Like, you know, um, the house, the murder house in Los Angeles sort of manifested that idea in a supernatural way. Mm-hmm. And then, like here um, in a, in Asylum, the Asylum represented that way. It seemed to be sort of like a sort of a melting pot of all sorts of kinds of evil um, and, and, and all that. Like, um, I, think that, 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 I think that's an idea that I would love to see the show, uh, you know, like – work consistently more often than not from season to season, like make a locale, a star, totally. um, a, a physical place that is some kind of like historical seat of evil. Um, I and, see, I see next season set entirely inside of an elevator, but Jeff, here's the thing. <laughs> here's the thing, Jeff. It's the most evil elevator in America. <laughs> nice. Uh, this is why I don't write the show. I just enjoy it. Right. Um, Jeff, where, where, where would you like them? Uh, where, where would you like them to go? You know, I, it's, it's funny. I, I asked the question and now you've kind of convinced me because I, I, I remember being sort of dismissive of this whole idea of, of an insane asylum, mainly because that's one of my like two biggest fears is being sent to one. So which which, you know, j- just goes to show like, uh, you know, they definitely chose something that I, I think spoke certainly to my fears and managed to make me really enjoy it. Not that I ever want to go to an insane asylum now. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I um, I love the idea of. To me, the best thing about the New Orleans thing is just I do like the idea of them going to a city, as you say, and really kind of engaging with, you know, the mythology, the tropes, the history of that city. I I, I thought they did that so well with Los Angeles. This year was obviously very very different in in the sense that you know they didn't have they they were, were purposefully not playing with that beyond uh, letting the actors do their best sort of Boston area accents. Um, I uh, I would. 
be really intrigued to see having gone sort of so far down the well with every, with you know bringing together so many different horror tropes this year if if next year if they sort of trim it back down a little bit like I, I, I part of me loved the simplicity of the haunted house and so I wonder if yeah if there isn't some sort of cool thing to be done with just going to you know with with New Orleans what appealed to me about that was this whole notion of you know you're working with a, a city that recently had a, a, a very major tragedy and how you can kind of express that in horror genre terms I, I, I'd really enjoy that uh, but you know th- to be honest the, the only real like, I, real ideas I have are all just sort of you know it'd be Golly, it'd be fun if they did some something with the faking of the moon landing, and Ian McShane could play young Stanley Kubrick. You know, I I, I just I, I feel like <laughs> I, I I feel like they've they've created this system now where anything they do, I I feel like I'm I'm guaranteed to be intrigued by it. You know, I I I was so sort of captivated with how they explored every angle of you know the '60s and insanity this year. Which I kind of wondered. I kind of wondered if, like, given some of the clues that have been tossed out over the past several weeks especially with all this sort of like focus on making sure that Jessica Lange is, is more glamorous and wears better, better, you know, uh, fashionable clothes this year, next year. Um, if, um, if, if, if we're going to be dealing with the fashion industry mm-hmm. or, or, or hitting the entertainment industry, like head on, you know, like, you know, so are we going to be set in like fashion houses, like of, of, you know, Ooh. L.A., New York, and like Paris, or or something Ooh, like that. Ooh, right? yeah, yeah, and like you know, going to like going to like 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 different fashion weeks, uh, and uh, you're sort of experiencing. I, I like or that. Or maybe some kind of meta thing, Darren, where it's just like it's 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 about a television show, right? <laughs> so Jessica, Jessica Lang plays Jessica Lang, <laughs> right? And, yeah, it's like it's like Inland Empire in a way. <laughs> but you know, it's just like you know, because one of the clues that he's tossed out is that it's going to deal with like. Um, three cities so it's like you'll have like you know wherever the show is shot like vancouver and then it's like where the studio is based where the writer's room is in los angeles and that's where the network is based it's going to be new york (laughs) i like it i like it but jeff let me spin off of something that uh, you said earlier about about washington dc i see jessica lang as a hillary clinton-esque politico the whole thing you think is going to be her running for president so you know you get like washington dc you get her kind of on the campaign trail you get her kind of making deals with these sort of like Oliver Stone-esque, uh, you, you, you know, money men. Um, but then there's some horrible twist when you find out, I don't know, the White House is haunted or something. This is not a, a fully developed idea, but uh, mainly I like the idea of Jessica Lange as the president. I, th- I think that's where this show is ultimately going. Jessica Lange. <laughs> Jessica Lange plays Jessica Lange, but with a British accent for some reason. <laughs> nice. nice. Um, Jeff, uh, I think we've just about wrapped this all up. Um, I, I want to thank our listeners for listening. If you have any catchy uh, three-word concepts for the next season of American Horror Story, tweet it at us. I'm at Darren Franich. He's at E.W. Doc Jensen uh, because he went to university. Uh, as always, I'm Darren Franich. I am Jeff Jensen. Thanks for listening, everybody.